We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Shocking news as American leader is caught making long-term commitment to racist organization. But enough about Christian Pulisic's move to Chelsea. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, dark day for uh, American fans of the beautiful game because uh, Christian Pulisic is now at Chelsea. and <clears throat> Well, he's not there yet. He will be next season, and it's terrible. The only thing I can hope is that it means that Eden Hazard is leaving. We'll see. Fingers crossed. In any event, uh, Tim's still not here, still in Brazil, presumably. Uh, they will let him back into the UK, and he will want to come back, so we can have him on the podcast at a future date. Uh, we should should be getting match preview videos from him on Patreon, again, starting shortly, and uh, all kinds of new Patreon content in 2019. So happy new year, everyone. Happy 2019. Uh, we're going to be doing some video content, uh, because, you know, obviously, the one thing this podcast is missing is our beautiful faces, but don't worry. That'll be remedied. It's all coming. In any event, I should introduce the guests. That's the professional thing to do. So Paul is here. He's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Yeah, no rush. Woohoo! And Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Welcome back, Clive. Hello, hello. Can't just keep missing podcasts, buddy. You're the glue that keeps the shit together. I think I missed like two all year. Is that right? Yeah, that's my point. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, let's let's be clear. You haven't done a single one this year. This is your first. So okay. So I'm far, so good. You got a hundred percent record. Hey, um, we've got a game to discuss, and what an interesting one because we won it four one, and yet I find that there are still things I can probably complain about. I don't know. We'll certainly give it a shot. Um, but let's start with this. Uh, so, Paul, you know, we knew that Fulham were not going to be great defensively. We knew that we should be able to tear them apart pretty easily. This is arguably the easiest game of the Premier League season for us at home to the worst defensive side in the league. 
Um, Emery still, you know, opted for maybe what you might argue a slightly more conservative setup, going with the uh, the three at the back and the two center mids. I mean, he did play Aubameyang and Lacazette together, but only Iwobi to stitch them together. Now, we'll come to Iwobi's performance, because I thought it was a very interesting one, but did you feel when you saw the lineup that, you know, Emery just needs to sort of say fuck it and go for it a little more? Or were you fine with him? Mm-hmm. I, I guess... So maybe it was your reaction to the last game, but I think he got the the lineups the wrong way around, or or the formations the wrong way around. I would have played three at the back against Liverpool, with perfect hindsight. But I think I, I, uh, I, uh, I'm on record as saying that before the Anfield game, and you could afford to play two at the back in this game, but maybe having got graped. Uh, at Anfield, we were a little tender at the back there, and so we <laughs> went for a little conservativeness. I mean, the one thing it does give you with three at the back, everything's a trade-off. The one thing it did allow us to do was to get wing backs forward uh, to give some protection to Kalasinac and Maitland Niles to get up there and get some crosses in, and give support to to Awobi on his side and. I mean, the other interesting thing is Aubameyang on the right, uh, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk along the way because yep. he's normally been played on the left of that three. So it did provide some support. Uh, sometimes being a little bit more conservative can make you more progressive and attacking in other ways. So everything's a trade-off. So uh, I, I think we saw some of that playing out in this game against Fulham. But if I had to choose playing three at the back in this game or the previous game, it seems we might, we might have got them slightly flip-flopped. Yeah, and he did give uh, Torreira a rest, at least for part of the game, which mm-hmm. you know I think was certainly warranted on the basis of what's looked like some leggy performances and, and a pretty rough outing at Anfield. Um, it gave Matteo Ganduzzi yet another chance to start in the center of the midfield, and he had an interesting performance himself. Um, you know, a lot of personality, a lot of desire for the ball. Played that one gorgeous line-breaking ball, through ball right into Aubameyang uh, that sent him in and for one of the m- many, many chances he did not score. He did score a goal in the end. Um, but we can come to that in a minute. I, I think, you know, Clive, the, the question then is, if we did set up more conservatively, it certainly didn't result in a defensively sound uh, experience, at least for the first half. I mean, Fulham cut us open quite easily on a few occasions, are you you starting to wonder why we can't seem to keep anybody out? <laughs> I think um, a lot of it is to do with our defensive communication. We're not talking to each other, so we're we got our probably our best three names. You know, holding injured, our most experienced three names at centre back, and we can debate their state of fitness. Um, but you know, they're probably our, our most experienced three names, and. But they just defended like three people that are used to leading, but actually they are not helping each other. So there is no leader, but they're all trying to want to perform individual leadership type roles, but without really communicating to each other. And it was simple communication issues, situations like when Gwenduzi and Shaka were caught square, people passed through the middle of them, Socrates steps out, the other two just stand there, line is zigzagged, they run through. No offside. We're running back towards our goal, looking old and slow. It's just basic communication, not not defining the roles properly. Um, if you do press out, then the other two should cover around and drop off, for, just in case the worst thing will happen. Um, it's just it's just deciding about what you want to do, and the, the communication just looked a little bit 
lumpy and rigid and so we looked we looked lumpy and rigid accordingly and um and that's against a team that we didn't really respect that much if i'm honest if you look around at some of the performances they were very patchy and that tells you that the team was not dialed in but um, there's a bigger question here, Elliot. I don't know if I'm allowed to sort of go on a little bit longer. But um, uh, Yeah, I mean, you, you are, as long as you then don't make fun of me if I interrupt you. Oh, uh, you know what? I fully expect it. Okay, no then good. Yeah, then we're, then we're in you alignment you will, you will help me with, you know what? with my thought maybe, process. Maybe you saying this next thing will help me think of what's next to ask, because I literally have no idea what we're going to talk about, so it's perfect. But trust me, after I finish this, you will have plenty to ask. I'll, you right? know what? I'll just so, hit stop and publish. It'll be fine. <laughs> Let's go. Right, so... Also, I, I had a bit of time to think after not being on the pod, right? So I've been I've been trying to exercise, trying to keep Christmas at bay. And uh, in in my garage, I have a what bike, and I have all of our recent games taped. And so I watched them, right? So I thought I watched four games, right? So I watched the second half of Liverpool, the league game, and Spurs league game. And then I watched the Liverpool away game and Spurs in the Carabao Cup. And the differences were quite marked, right? So... The intensity of the first two games where we were successful, particularly in centre midfield, was significantly different. And what it did, it didn't allow people to get their heads up and didn't allow people to, to play the ball into us. And we were incredibly forceful in both games. And a lot of it was about Arsenal winning the battle in centre midfield and going forward in any which way we liked. It wasn't always successful, but we looked purposeful. We had issues at the back, but our intent to dominate and go forward from that centre midfield spot, particularly with Shaka and Trey, in both those games, was outstanding. Now, what people have done since then is they've started to recognise that Arsenal have changed in centre midfield. They have a player in there that can dominate the most facets of the game, and it's allowing Shaka to also play better. And if you add in supplementary players like Mikatarin and, and Iwobi and Guendouzi, Arsenal are not being killed in centre midfield. That was until recently where teams have analysed us and they have looked at our centre midfield and thought, well, no, we've got to stop that. We've got to start pressing much more aggressively. We've got to start standing in lines, standing in passing lanes and making sure they can't play through there and out to the wide areas with Colosini, Kiwobi, Mkhitaryan, Bellerin, that connection and get chances into our box. So they are crowding the middle. They're smashing us from all different angles. And when they win it, they are setting runners away. So if you look at the Spurs' second game, where the first game, sorry, where Kane was quite well marshaled by um, Socrates, in the second game, Kane didn't play. They played Lucas Moura, Son, Deli Alley, running through our lines. As soon as they win it, bang, run straight through. And now you're now you're saying to our defenders, how good is your communication? How good is your starting position? Are you ready to run in, run backwards? And we don't like to. Right? And so they're running through Gus and getting chances one-on-one. That was happening early in the season as well, by the way, Watford and Everton. And then the same for Liverpool. Obviously, we all know their front four. They dropped Shakiri into centre midfield and they went bang, hit us, quick transitions, into Mane, into Salah. We all know the rest. Diagonals across our box, make us run backwards. And we looked old and slow. Mm-hmm. And so our strength of previous weeks, the thing that got me excited massively was the change in our centre midfield, the upgrade in that area, the fact that we were now dominating teams and controlling games, particularly in the later stages of the game, and really taking teams on transition is now being done to us. We are now being run backwards. So this is what a team has to solve now. So we've been analysed, right? We've been analysed. So what's next for us? We need to we need to break that 
phase. And the only way to break that phase is to have ball-carrying midfielders. Yeah. And we don't have any. We have one. His name's Iwobi. The rest of them are passers or runabouters. You see what I mean? So we've we've lost we've lost Mikatarium, another one who could carry, and people dismiss him. But we weren't getting dominated in midfield when he was there, because he's physical, he's available, and he drives. He breaks lines. He makes people adjust and step back. He's not there. Suddenly, we've we taken out that extra connector. Now we're all looking at Alex Iwobi, and I'm sure you'll get to him. So I won't go yeah, yeah, down we've that got a long, path. Long I won't go down that path. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so what's happening when you watch a team? When you watch your own team, we all know them and love them dearly. We 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 are now got problems to fix, and we can't fix them because we haven't got the right type of player. We haven't got the ball carrying centre midfield. When we have a high line, we haven't got sprinters running backwards. So we can't fix the problems that, been, that we've now got to create. Now have been created for us. We've got one ball carrier and our defenders are looking a little bit slow when people get their heads up and run us back. Our back line is not straight to play the offside. So we're indecisive and we're looking indecisive defensively. So the great thing about football is that teams work you out. And the best players are the ones that can help you solve problems. And a lot of our players, I'm afraid, can only play one way. And some of those players are some of our star players. They are great when the game is suited to them. When the game is not suited to them, they are inconsequential. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to think about when we're judging players. Judge a player based on how many problems he can solve for you on the pitch. How rounded is his game? And it's really interesting. Two players that we debate... In Iwobi and Maitland-Niles, young players that we debate, mm. in a game where we were stretched physically, really pushed hard, the two players that come out with their heads held up were the two that could carry, that could run both ways, and that could drive and make Liverpool think physically. And that, my friends, is where the game is going. At the top six games, it's all about how you move, how you transition, how you carry. And this is the problem for us. There are different types of games in the Premier League. There are top six games and there are the rest. And in top six games, you find out exactly what you've got. And all this BS we chat about our players, rubbish. Judge them in the top six games and see where they can go and see how far they can stretch and see how far they can, their ceilings are. Because that's when you find out what people have got. And uh, I think... Give me a little bit of time to think about it. I think we've been given a real good, clear message post the Spurs game in particular that we've got some problems to solve about the type of players that we buy and purchase to allow us to fix problems on the pitch that the other top six teams are going to provide us going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, look, God forbid you ever had a lot of time to think about it because I'd hate to see how much you'd come up with. I mean, with just a little time to think about it, that was as informative as it was comprehensive. Um, I think I agree with a lot of it. I... I there's a lot there. And I look, one of the things that I maybe disagree with slightly is that every player needs to be able to solve multiple problems for you. I think you can Not have... Not every player. Yeah. You should be buying players that make sure that can allow you to solve those problems as they're presented to you. Yeah. The best teams have those problem solvers. Yeah, because right? so look, when, I, I when think you can have specialist players who are, if they're good enough at one thing, and I mean, like, that, if they're only going to be good at one thing, they got to be really good at one thing. But like, you can have an Aubameyang, for example, who's really good at one thing, and that's getting on the end of oh, chances. You can have a you you can have you know a player who's 
really good at dribbling and crossing the ball. I mean, there are specialists. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo was, you know, is really good at scoring. It turns out that's really important. You know, can I can I crystallize that thought a little bit further then? Because you have players. Paul, you got anything going on today? Just chill out. Um, (laughs) It'll be fine. Cool your jets. No, but 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 while Clive's answering, I'm interested in his thoughts on Gunduzi as a ball carrying midfielder. But anyway, back to Clive. So your point is absolutely is absolutely absolutely spot on, right? And you often find that players that are on the exterior of your team they have to have certain skill sets right so Abamalang being an exterior player the fact he can run in behind the fact his movement is very hard to track superb maybe I'm talking more about the interior players sure that makes where sense the, to me where the, where the brain of the game is you've got to have players that can do different types of things and I think we've got a situation where potentially we have passers we, ha- we don't have carriers we don't have all the, the sprinters we need to go and press the game. We have developing players in that facet, but I think that's what we need, a more of an all-round interior agility, speed, sprinting speed, and passing abilities. And we have some of all of the above. No, we had Santa Cazorla for about a couple of healthy seasons. We missed that. And then some would say... <laughs> Some would say he can't defend, right? So um, we have some, but neither could David Silva, right? But they've improved that and he's become an all-round player. Same they've done with Kevin De Bruyne. And this is what's happening at the top end of the game. You're developing those types of players. And we've been presented with that problem. And unfortunately, we haven't got enough of those players, either fit or in the right stage of their development, to allow us to say, okay, you're going to stand in our passing lanes. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to step you. I'm going to run straight through you. I'm going to make you run backwards. I'm running through your centre mid onto your back four and see what you've got. Right? And we've got one player doing that at the moment and we are <laughs> debating his quality, shall All right. we say. So, and we need, we need more of that. So, so let's get, get into that, Paul, because I think it is a big, big talking point from this game. Look, Emery set us up. One thing that has been frustrating to me a little bit with Emery football lately that I've been noticing is there's not a lot of linking between the lines. That the lines seem very separated at times. And so... You know, in this game, we played with Lacazette and Aubameyang up front, and really the only guy dropping in and linking the lines was Iwobi. And he had arguably his best game of the season, at least in a half. He had his best half of the season, the first half. I thought the second half was a little more quintessentially Iwobi in that, you know, there were some passes that went astray and final balls that went wrong. I have a suspicion, when you look at Iwobi radars, very good in XG buildup, very good in XG chain, very good in final third entries, virtually no shots, virtually no shot um, assists, virtually no XG, virtually no goals. You know, is the reason that Awobi is so polarizing, not that he isn't a good player with good skills, but that he's playing one of the forward positions in a team that needs end product there, and that's not really what he's suited to. I mean, should we begin to embrace Awobi as what Clive is describing, a linking player, and would it be better suited for his development if we stop wishing end product onto a player that maybe is never going to have it? Yeah, um, look, when you look at Wobi's stats, depending on which stats you look at, he's a very busy guy. Uh, when you watch him, you see he's always pushing towards the box. That's his thing. Um, the The issue with Wobi is certain games and certain teams neutralize him entirely. So he's two kinds of games. His last two games have been very good, right? Uh, he was probably our one standout player at Anfield, which is a tough game. But I think they kind of let us have that part of it because they were doing so well everywhere else. Um, but when a team neutralizes a Wobi, they seem to neutralize him entirely. 
Um, or sometimes he neutralizes himself, you know, just by yeah. letting the ball go under his foot or passing six inches off of where he needed to or dawdling on the ball too long. You know, yeah. I, I, uh, I, he's strong yeah. and he can beat a man, Paul. So like, like, and, and he has a burst. It's just, you know, I, at 22, I'm not saying you need to be the finished article, but you know, you look at Serge Nabry, for example, Serge Nabry was never great for Arsenal. He didn't play that much, but there were signs that there was an electrifying goal scorer potentially in there. I'm not saying because of that he had a 10 or 15 or 20 goal season for us, but you could see it. You know, what I'm saying with Awobi is he has all these wonderful qualities and we keep saying the, the electrifying goal scoring and product part will come. Well, if it's not going to come, should we just leverage the abilities we know he has, already has? Yeah, but I think even the problem with that is that he literally has, uh, like the last two games, if he played like that all the time, I'm not that worried about his end product because his end product is other people's end product. But if he plays yeah, he like the other two games, chances, yes. mm-hmm. yeah, you, you look at the two ga- two or so games before that, we're all scratching our heads wondering, you know, were we caught on record on a podcast upping this guy recently? And there's there's not a lot in between. He's literally totally neutralized in a game, or he generally has a you know he he's a dominant force making things happen. Um, obviously, part of that is is Kalasinac getting forward, and therefore is Kalasinac been supported downfield. None of this happens in a vacuum. Um, but there are certainly games where he seems pretty dominant in other games in which teams match up against him, maybe put two on him, and he doesn't have that overlap. Um, but he also doesn't solve the problem himself. So he, he doesn't give you a lot of in-between games, I don't think. Um, and that's beyond the fact that you know he's lacking a little confidence in front of goal, the tendency to lean back or to snatch at a shot or do something that puts a, has him put his head in his hands. I think he's young. I think we got to accept that. His good games are good enough that I can't understand why people just give up on him. I think they, they're only remembering the bad games, and there are people who do it the other way around. I have a theory why uh, people give up on him, by the way. We can get to yeah. that in a second. Well, we uh, well, I think thought, yeah. yeah, so I think he's a work in progress. The shame of it is that he's kind of our only option of that kind of player uh, unless we really start to rotate uh, Ramsey back into our lineup, which... Seems like a very good idea to me, unless he's going somewhere right now. I don't think he will be. Um, Mkhitaryan isn't back, they say, till February. February could be middle of February, which is two months before the end of the season. That's not very good. So we, I think we need a player to liven things up. Because, you know, even if he were playing at a high level, his high level for the rest of the season, the boy's going to get tired at some stage and we need options. So we've got a big vulnerability in that area. It was interesting to see Obama Yang from the right. And I think certain aspects of that uh, and the other kind of, uh, I don't know what happened to my voice there. You the other puberty <laughs> listening to yeah, Clive's yeah. last uh, yeah, uh, contribution. Yeah, I, I think Lacazette's been very interesting, even though he hasn't scored for a while. He did in this game, but he's, He's been really good, r- real quality on the ball. So the, I don't know what the answer is, but the, it's not like the coach doesn't have some quality players in his squad, but he might yet again have to come up with a new lot, lineup to do something interesting because the players don't allow him to do what he was doing before. He's got Ozil, he's got Lacazette, Aubameyang, Wobi, Ramsey. I mean, that's not too bad for... Uh, uh, three or four players that need to sit up front, but we just can't think of a lineup at the moment that works with them. 
Yeah, I'll tell you this much. I mean, if I know stats and radars don't tell you everything, but if you just looked at a radar of Awobi and his stats and said, tell me what position this guy plays, you'd say, this is a really good central midfielder. You would not say, this is a dynamic wide forward, because he's not. Um, and, and I think wish casting goals and, and assists onto a guy that has no track record of producing it is unfair to the player. You know, and you can say he's only 22. I mean, Lucas Torreira is 22, and we're expecting him to be midfield Jesus. And, you know, Leroy Sané is 22, and you at least see that scintillating, electrifying talent that, that can, you know, beat a man, has that pace, burst past, into the box, score goals, get assists. Like, and so the, the reason I think people give up on Awobi is because he's being played in a position where he can only ever provide some of the things that position requires. I don't think that you can be a top six. Well, you can be a top six. I don't think you'd be a top four team in the premier league without a lot of goals in your side. And Aubameyang's a lot of goals. Lacazette adds some goals. I think you need a third guy. I think you have to have a third guy. And that guy is Nwobi. Nwobi's all time top goal scoring season for us is three goals. He's on two this season. He's on pace to shatter it. So, you know, I, I mean, you can say that comes, and I know Tim Stillman's argument. He, he would be screaming at me right now. Those skills come later. Don't worry, I'm, I'm about to. All right, well, let me say this. <laughs> I don't care how young the player is. When you have a dynamic goal scorer in your team, I'm sorry. You see flashes of it. There is nothing about Awobi that, to me, says there's a sleeping giant goal scorer in there. Sleeping giant player? Maybe so. And in some ways, not just sleeping. He had a great game. But, you know... Why can't you play a 4-3-3, Clive, where it's Torreira, Shaka, and Iwobi, all right, and then have a real forward in the front line with those guys? You know, Mkhitaryan is more of a real forward. Why can't it be, you know, if you want to put, well, we don't have Reese Nelson. We don't really have a forward. We have Saka. I mean, yeah, we really have you've, no answered your, you've answered your own. Well, we need Welbeck, right. fine. But, you got Ramsey. You, you yes, you could play Ramsey. Question. Ramsey can score from there. Or you could play Ozil, who maybe he doesn't want to play wide in a 4-3-3, but at least he'll drift in and out and slide the ball in and get some goals. I mean... Is there a reason Awobi needs to be a forward when he profiles and contributes the things that a a midfielder in a three can give you that that you've just said we lack? Yeah, I don't disagree with a lot of what you just said, right? But, But it's not his choice. He's being played there, right? Oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. I'm saying, should we do it? He is turned, he is the pre-assist king, right? He is the Alex Kleb pre-assist king. He's the one that moves people around, plays people in for the assist to them go and score, right? And that's where he's comfortable in that slot. So he is perfect as a third midfielder in the midfield three, which we don't always play. Or he could potentially be the tip of a diamond in a diamond formation at the end, which I hoped he would have played more at the weekend. But they had him from the left and the Bambian from the right. I'd like to see him behind the two strikers, who are almost three strikers anyway, and play that central role, like Ramsey did versus Spurs. I think he's got a lot more transition with the ball, and he offers you things with the ball and can create wall passes and one-twos, a little bit of creativity. His end product is very inconsistent. You're absolutely right. He had a game of two halves. In the second half, I mean, there were some simple passes that he was that he was just messing up and kicking the ball out. And you could hear the groans in, in the crowd. And I, I didn't go to this one, and, and I'm glad I didn't, because I think it would have ruined my New Year's, because... The way we treat our young players is quite, I, I think it's becoming a a brand of Arsenal fans, really, about how we treat our young players and our players full stop. You know, how we how we debate them, how we... Is he a young player? Yeah, he's 21. 22. 21, okay, 21, 22. To yeah, me, he, he's a he's young 22. player. He, once he's 22, he's no longer 21. That's how okay. it works. It's a joke. He, he's, a Twitter joke. He's, 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 he's had two, three years in, in, in our first team. Right, so 
Let's look. Let's look around, shall we? At similar players of similar ages. Let's look around at Ruben Loftus Cheek at Chelsea. No one's to, no one's asking him to go and play every single three days, right? No, and and provide Leroy at the top is the level. Same age. Uh, he's a winger. He is a winger. Well, he's a true he winger. Is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he is a. And let's let's be honest, right? He is a he is a top top level winger. Uh, you know, this is guy is, is special, right? He's already transferred for thirty eight million quid, and that was two years ago. So this is no one. This he hasn't fallen off a tree. Right, so, and it will be somebody that we've just come through our youth system, and we are giving lots of minutes to. And if you compare people like Lost of Cheeks, if you compare people like Harry Winks, for example, um, the way they are treated, and the way they are given time, is different to how we treat our players. And maybe I'm not as close to their fan group to know no, when they might be part of it. That might be part yeah? of it. but it, the feeling that I get is. We are very harsh on our young players. Maitland-Niles was just about to get it until he scored a goal and has been composed. The fact that he broke his leg and has had like two or three starts, people were saying that he's too casual, he doesn't work hard enough, blah, 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 blah. Suddenly he scores a goal, has two good games, and everyone's off his back for a little while. Iwobi was just about to get it because he was, he was tiring, he was flagging. He had a couple of games on the bench. He's come on Liverpool, come on this game, and he's had one and a half good games. And you know what? The debate's still there, but I just feel as though maybe I'm being a bit parental. And, um, Can I just give you one I alternative do, proposal that it may not I, be as related to think, age? Yeah, go ahead. I do think, and I've said this there on, online, actually, I do think... We are a team that really need to think about our young players and how we can make up for the financial mess that we've gotten ourselves into. Because these young players are even going to be sold and part of our future. And not only that, other young players around the world are looking and seeing, is the Arsenal project that's something they want to go to? Is the Arsenal the place they want to be at? And if it is a toxic, hostile place where young players do not get time, right? If the coaches want to give them time, great. But if the fans are not going to give them time, then sorry, they're not going to choose us over other teams that are trying to do the same thing, get young assets in, and sell them on for more money. And it, you know, we are all part of this picture. We are all part of this environment. And w- by the way, I do not, I'm not saying that young players should not deserve criticism. I've seen Quenduzi run himself into blind alleys, where we do exactly the same thing. But it shouldn't be the primary thing that we drive back as part of our feedback. It should be part of a broader thinking and a broader picture. I know we try to do it on here. But when you look online, it doesn't feel the same. And it, and it doesn't take much for fans to get in that herd mentality and start to criticise in mass numbers. And you end up in situations when a player is getting jeered for a bad pass when he's probably been our best player for the first hour of the game. And then he ends the game quite loosely and gets substituted. Now, I think we can do better than that. I really do. I, I think we can do better than that and make sure that he's... His high moments are praise just as much as we kill his down, down moments. And I don't see the level of praise being consistent for when he has a really good moment, but I do see a level of vitriol when he has a indifferent game or inconsistent game. I guess, game. I, you know, I, I think maybe that's survivor bi- survivorship bias or whatever. It is. What, what I mean is that, like, we have on this podcast joked around that he's the breakout player of the season. He started off really yeah. hot. We talked about it a lot. I mean, here's here's where I would just disagree with you slightly, Clive, is that, Mm-hmm. I don't think it is age so much. First of all, I think it is a, 
close question whether 22 is a young footballer anymore. Um, let me give you some 22-year-olds just quickly. Leroy Sané, Lucas Torreira, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Richarlison, Deli Alley, Marcus Rashford, Gabriel Jesus. That's from Matt Arsenal one at, on Twitter. But I only point those out not to say that that's not elite company, but that there's, you know, there's seven right there that are, you know, thriving at 22 in the Premier League. Now, hang on just a second. The reason I think it will be comes in for, for criticism is not because we have no patience with young players. I think it is not a factor of age as much as it is how long he has been part of the first team. This is really his third or more than that, but let's say third season of really being established as a regular first team player. And I think when you're in your third straight season of playing a lot of first team football, people stop looking at you as young prospect and just see you as first team regular. And so maybe that is unfair, but I think he has been in the first team a lot for long enough now that he's just viewed as part of the first team. We have a lot more to talk about. Um, so I, I don't want to say one more yeah, thing. Yeah, sure, so sure. One more thing. I think sometimes because we're so close to these people that we know them so intimately that we know what their potential is or we think we do. We think we know all the reasons why they have a good game or bad game. But we're not we're not always we're not always sure, right? And sometimes you've got to take yourself out and see how people view you and view your team. And I start to think about this when I listened to the Jurgen Klopp pre Liverpool um, press conference. And I, he was talking about our team and he mentioned Iwobi four or five times. And I thought, I've never heard an opposition manager to do that. And that tells you that they were preparing for him. They were preparing for his drive. They were preparing for his transition. And he ended mm. up having a really good game. They were concerned about him. Now, us Arsenal fans, we criticise the things that he doesn't do. And by the way, I say we, and I include myself in that, by the way. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not talking from my perch here. Yeah, look, I mean, Pep Guardiola perfect. at Barcelona once said they were preparing for Theo Walcott, and he was the most dangerous player at Arsenal. So, I mean, you know, we, you know... It, Swings and roundabouts, a little bit. <laughs> okay, well, I can't, but, but I can't say that. But he possibly was at the time, let's be honest. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and at that time, he, he was very difficult for Barcelona to stop, and that that was the skill set he had, running off the ball in behind. You know, I, I, just, I just meant, just, like, they can just, be good and they can cause a problem, and they can still be an incomplete player that, you know... Yeah, but again, it, what it shows you, that other people see the strengths of our players slightly differently to sometimes how we do. That's what I was trying to say, mm-hmm. right? So I thought it was quite interesting that... The, the premier manager in the league at the moment was talking about him. He wasn't talking about any other players. He was talking about him because he recognizes the skill set he has to drive and break coaching manuals, to create problems, to create duress. And those type of players break your manual because they're unpredictable. They can beat you off the dribble. They can step inside you and they can drive and make you panic. And we need more of those types. And we can debate his quality, but his player types I'm talking about. And Liverpool have them. City have them. Chelsea are developing them. And we have got to do the similar type thing. Well, they just got Christian Pulisic to help with that too. Look, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think, you know, at some point, the team has to help the player define his career and become the, the player he can be. You know, when Thierry Henry showed up as a, a mediocre winger from Juventus, I mean, mediocre is maybe over, over-egging it, but, um, you know, Arsene Wenger looked at him and said, you're a striker, and he was right, and we know what happened from there. Um, you know, I mean, maybe it's going to take a manager looking at Alex Wobie and saying, no, you're, you're not a wide forward. 
You're not. That, you know, you're never going to be a 20-goal, 10-assist guy. But you could very yeah. well be one of the premier midfield ball carriers and final third entry guys in the world, and that's how we're going to use you. You know, all you Until have to do is now, up your defensive it, energy a little bit, up your work rate just a little bit, get your engine where it needs to be, and you can be that player. And, you know, I, I, I just would love to see... Because, because again... I would love. I would love to see this kid who's been at Arsenal since a kid thrive at Arsenal. I just want him to have a, a role that that suits his tremendous skill set. You know, I, so- I think he's thriving more than we realize. And also, Elliot, if we have two wide forwards and he can play deeper more often, I think we'll see exactly what you're hoping to see. At the moment, he's got the skill set to play deeper, and he's also got the skill sets to play higher. We haven't got anyone at the moment who can play higher up there consistently and drive. We have passers or runabouters that play up there we haven't got the connectors we had one in Mkhitaryan and he's injured potentially we tried Maitland-Niles in that role at Anfield it seemed to go okay I think he obviously faded with the team later on in the game but we need more of those half space players that can drive from in behind I forwards. gotta wade in guys please yeah, yeah please it would do. be wonderful uh, if you did. Uh, I'll keep it short uh, uh, in in this sense I don't see what the problem is I mean he isn't actually played as a wide forward he's played as a an attacking midfielder, interior. He uses one of his best skills is just the balls at his foot and he's moving his feet quickly and he's pushing the guy backwards or he's he's playing some quick connecting pass. Uh, You know, if I'm a defender, I do not want fucking Alex Awobi one-on-one with me on the edge of the box. Not because I think he's going to score, but I think he's going to make me look like a fool uh, laid off to somebody else who will score. But Uh, he doesn't. no, that what what laid off to other people who score? Yeah, he does not do that. I think uh, he's been. I think he's he been involved in a lot of our he, goals. He, he does not his do goal, that. Look at his goal involvement. <laughs> uh, stats, I think I right? just saw a game where that's exactly what he did. He let's put it this way: his his xG assisted and his assists are very low. So yes, he had a good game against defensively terrible Fulham, and I don't deny him the credit for that. What I'm saying is. He is a great intermediate value, final third entry, beat a man in midfield kind of guy. He Didn't has he never... Did he do it against at Anfield? Didn't he do what at Anfield? Create an assist. Yeah, he, 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 or... he did give an assist. And it's one of his, his three on the season. Yeah, but what you see is in a game... I mean, was it not real? Was he not playing in his, his normal position? When support... We have a lot of history on the player. He's, he, he, he has not... I mean, historically, the thing he's really good at is final third entries and the, the pre-assist and the ball before the ball. He is not historically yeah. a guy who gets in the box and delivers the killer ball, sure. the final ball. But we have seen games where he's been really good. Now, I don't really fucking care what he does in the game if he's been really good. He's being really sure. good. Um, and if he's creating shit for other people, I don't care. Or if he's creating shit for people who who lay on the cyst, I don't really care. I've seen games where he's really good. We all have. That's not a fucking illusion. Of course not. I, I'm not re- saying it is. Look, I, how, hang on. You're, so, I think so you're misconstruing my so, point. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Now, I haven't finished my point, which is the games in which he's supported by Kalasinac or whoever coming on his outside are the games he's going to look really fucking good. Yes, I agree with that, yes. And the issues with the Wobi, he's not a complete player. He can't do it all on his own. But if you give him a structure in which he can be successful, getting wing-backs forward or however, however he's getting some support, he'll look a whole lot better. I don't want him necessarily moved into a, th- a three, though. I'll like to see that, too. I think playing in that kind of 
two-man Iwobi Mikatarian kind of structure, yeah. uh, some kind of diamond. There's lots of places where he can be basically an attacking midfielder on the edge of the box without him being defined as a wide forward. And I don't think we play him as a wide forward. So... I don't think he's no, no, no. perfect, Look, and he's yeah. I think I, I, it's so. <laughs> I think where, where where I'm being misconstrued a little bit is what I'm saying is we have complained all of us, all of us, that this is an imbalanced squad, and because it's imbalanced, it's a real problem for Emery. And so what I'm saying is not that we're not getting some decent contribution from Owobi the way he's being used. I'm saying I think there's a way to make the squad feel more balanced to get a more true end product player into one of those three ish front. You know, front three-ish roles. I think we all agree with you, Elliot. I think we just haven't got that player at the club at the moment. Well, but, uh, why not? Wide, I mean, that wide, we had that Mkhitaryan, who, who's not perfect. Yeah. But you could play Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Mkhitaryan in a four-three-three, and play Torreira, Shaka, and Iwobi in the midfield three, and maybe that gives you that player that can link. You know, and and again, I, I'm not picking Ozil in any of these sides. Notice because I, you know, I don't know where we stand with that. You could pick Lacazette, Ozil, and and Aubameyang in the front three. I, I, you know what? We should move off this. There's a lot, lot more to get to. I think we all sort of agree on Wobi's qualities. We sort of disagree on you know, where his most effective position is. And what we can all agree on is none of us have any decision-making power over it. So let's do this. Let's, um, let's ease off some of the tension with a nice chemise. Maybe a silk get-up of some sort. That will certainly relax us all. Then we'll come back and talk about the actual game that this post-match podcast is covering uh, right after this. Stay with us. Okay, it's time to tell you about our friends at EnclosedLingerie.com. That's Enclosed, E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D, Lingerie, L-I-N-G-E-R-I-E, EnclosedLingerie.com. You're going to want to go there right now because they are offering you $35 off any gift of lingerie from their site using checkout code ARSENAL. Enclosed Lingerie is a lingerie of the month gift, uh, similar to beer of the month or flower of the month. But every month, you are going to receive high-end luxury lingerie for your partner. This is something that you got to do. It enhances the intimacy and the closeness in your relationship. That doesn't happen on its own. It takes time. It takes energy and effort. And this shows real thoughtfulness. Plus, you don't have to wander around a department store sheepishly. You're getting something with a perfect fit guarantee, so size will never be an issue. And you're going to love giving this gift to your partner. I'm married. I have a toddler. Um, I have a great relationship with my wife, but I have to admit that keeping that closeness is something you have to really focus on, especially as time goes by and your family grows. So this is something you should absolutely do for your loved one. Go to enclosedlingerie.com, enter Arsenal at checkout. You'll get $35 off any enclosed gift, and you're giving something that shows real thoughtfulness that's unique, that's just for you and your partner. Go there now enclosedlingerie.com and enter Arsenal at checkout for $35 off your gift. Do it now. Okay, we're back. And hopefully that settled everything right down. All kidding aside, you know, we uh, we go into every single game uh, on every single podcast. And so I think it is fun sometimes to get a little more in-depth, a little more detailed on one debate rather than just breaking down every pass, every stat, every detail of a single game, especially a game that is, let's face it, more of like a practice, a scrimmage than a, than a real game when you're playing Fulham at home. But um, we will get back into the game and we'll start with Paul. Paul Lacazette, um, I, I think he's been having good games but not getting the goals and the, the frustration's been etched on his face. The substitutions have frustrated him. This was an interesting one. Um, he does get a goal. I thought he was really good for most of the game. Um, he was put in once where he maybe could have done better, but he hit it straight at the keeper, but he did get his goal. And then he gets subbed off, subbed off, and 
I have to say, I, I'm willing to criticize Emery as, as much as anyone, but there's a difference between criticizing Emery on, on Twitter for this or that or on a podcast and booing a substitution, you know, six months into his appointment. He he gets booed for the Lacazette substitution. Now, Ramsey winds up scoring. The substitution looks brilliant. And Lacazette clap, you know, claps off, tries to G up the, the crowd and, and get them to support what's going on. So, I mean, how do you feel about Lacazette's game and also specifically his, his reaction to the crowd reaction to his substitution? Um, I think it's good. Maybe he had a, a come to Jesus moment with himself, or Aubameyang put a word in his ear at some stage, or him and him and Emery kind of have got on the same wavelength, and he's understood a little bit more of what's going on because he he did everybody a favor by taking the right attitude going off. You know, he he could have played it down the middle or thrown a sulky, but he was actually pretty positive about things um so fair credit to the lad because obviously he can get a little moody uh generally i think so the last month or so where people were saying yeah he's kind of off his game or off his form because he hadn't scored that wasn't my vibe with it i think it was just how the breaks went um i think he's been really good i've actually been kind of a little bit blown away by him this season he's kind of a bit of a worldy um with his touches and his play around the pitch ever so clever. Um, and I've, you know, I'm torn because I'm, uh, I'm definitely in the Obama Yang at center forward camp, but geez, Oh Pete, uh, you know, leaving Lacazette out when he's got so much class, he, he, especially given that we're short a few players at the moment, um, up, up the far end of the pitch there. You just want to find a way to get those two boys on the pitch. So I want to see a bit more of Aubameyang on the right and Lacazette up front. He's been classed. The only thing that gives me pause about Lacazette is he drops into midfield to do good work. But man, he can give the ball away or or drop you in at one way or another. He, he seems to find a way to do a kind of every game at the moment. I can't remember the particular moment at the, in the Fulham game where I thought, oh, Jesus Christ, he's found a new way of doing it. But he... Maybe he's just unlucky, but he it's he has these passes that that fucking drop us into it when he drops in to do good work in midfield. It's yeah, like, I think back to no wasn't it the the one against Chelsea or whatever where he cost yeah. us a goal with with a giveaway to no one under no pressure. Yeah, yeah. and I feel bad beating him beating him up over because generally what he does when he drops in kind of helps us spring springboard an attack or or whatever. But he does have those moments. So overall, um, I mean, some of the touches he's had recently are just so elegant. And there was the where he rounded the guy in the box this time. Uh, I don't know if you remember that moment, but somehow he managed. He, he speeded up. He's more physical. Uh, he's just class. Yeah, maybe a little time out of starting every, every game has freshened him up a little bit. I mean, he's the one player who arguably should be feeling a little bit fresh this time of year maybe yeah and then on the booing thing i mean what the fuck everybody just shut the fuck up this is all about liverpool and i think some of the not all of the uobi stuff but a bit of that it's frustrated people looking for their opportunity to express their frustration shut the fuck up get behind the team i'm sorry with your professional coaching career and and proven record behind you that you don't approve of how things are going versus how you thought they should be going. Sorry, I didn't expect to be going on a rant right now. But shut the fuck up. Let the manager manage. Uh, You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, We're in the first season, halfway through, 
we had a bad result at Anfield. Suck it up. I think the manager got Anfield totally wrong personally, but so fucking what? That's going to happen. So yeah. shut the and, fuck up. And I have to admit, I agree with you. And look, I'm not prone to agreeing. I want to just make one thing clear, right? There is a bit of a different fan culture, I think, in the U.S. versus in England about how you support your team at the ground. Because, you know, for example, Philadelphia fans... Like Eagles fans in the NFL, they will boo. They have they literally booed Santa Claus. Like they're famous for that. They will throw snowballs at their own players. Like they will boo a team that's winning, you know, by four touchdowns for not getting another touchdown. Like booing is just it's not the same taboo, if I can say it that way, uh, here that that it it seems to be there. So I tend to be fine with booing because like look, if you're frustrated, you've had a few drinks, team's kind of shit, you boo. Like you're there for the, the experience, but you know. It's a new manager at home, you know, not even halfway or just halfway into his first season. Yeah, I think that's a little rich. So I didn't love that. And it has a totally different emotional impact on a player. Uh, You know, it will be at the Emirates versus, you know, some guy in American football gear, helmet, fucking miles away from the crowd. And it's been part of the culture and the fun. You know, it's just a different animal. Yeah, no, I agree. And by, and by the way, I mean, this was to the manager, right? So it's slightly different yeah, yeah, than doing yeah. a specific player. But look, I mean, we, we're we a club that once booed a boo off the pitch after being a substitute. So, it, you know, it's going to happen. It's not pretty when it does going to happen. I mean, Clive, what do you think the booing, the response, but also just Lacazette's performance and maybe just maybe no matter how risky it is, and it is risky because we only have the two of them, the, the concept that Aubameyang and Lacazette just never look as good as when they're both playing together and they need to play together. Yeah, I, I like that front two. They're not looking as the chemistry, not looking as good as it previously did in the the sunny autumn, shall we say? But you still want them on the pitch because they're that's where our talent is. I think the booing. I think maybe Lacazette's responses to being substituted previously opened the door to the fans to say, mm-hmm. "We're with you. That's We're going to point. give yep. mm-hmm. to give the major some stick." And what it's actually done is embarrassed us because Lacazette then shut the door immediately with his reaction, which I thought was brilliant. It was, it was great, then, though. Shut it right down, you know? He shut it right down, was incredibly positive and supportive from the sideline when we scored the goals later on. And I'm thinking, brilliant, mate. You've, you're self-aware. You're aware of what's happened. You're aware that maybe your disappointment's been caught on the camera. And you've now shut that door. And what it did, it made... It made the people in the ground who were booing that substitution look absolutely clueless, right? Absolutely clueless. And by the way, we all get it wrong at times. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure about young Seth Fabregas; thought it was rubbish. Oh, so there you go, me, right? God. So, oh dear. But hey, that, that, say, that'll I, be in I, the spotlight I, down the road. <laughs> that's that okay. That's okay. Get him oh. off the pod now. My mates, my mates always remind me of that, right? So, um, but I was a massive Patrick Vieira fan, so nothing could get in his way. But then you learn as you get you get older to say, well, actually, I have to open my mind up to different players and open my mind up to not watching the game through certain people's eyes only and watching the whole game. Lacazette, if I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of him. If I'm brutally honest, I don't think he's looking as sharp as he did at the start of the year. And I don't think his execution is right where it was. He left a goal on the pitch for definite when he ran through in that right-hand corner of the penalty area. That's a Lacazette chance. Smash bottom corner. Keeper makes a save with his feet, I think, and they get away. So things like that. He's That's a two-goal game for him normally. So he's left one goal on the pitch and he's come off after 70, 80 minutes, whatever it was. So, but I see a player that's going to, we're going to need. He's fit, touch wood, and he will have his hot spot 
in the year. Much like the start of the year, Aubameyang was struggling a little bit. He was the one coming off. He was the one being on the bench. Lacazette carried us. He scored the goals. Now it's the other way around. I wish we had that third forward so we could keep two of them on the pitch, wherever that third forward is. We used to have one. And since then, we've been talking about these two guys together because we know we need them. We haven't got that third guy to keep the power down for the whole 90 minutes. And now we're, we're calling our manager conservative because he's having to put on midfielders late in games to cover, to try to control games late on, to cover for the fact that we haven't got that third forward at the right age profile to drive on. The fact we've lost Welbeck, we talk about we talk about Iwobi as a third forward. The issue is we've lost Welbeck and we're asking other people to fill in and we judge them based on what they're having to do more often than they would like to. And, and that's the problem. And we just need to either hang in there, wait for Mkhitaryan to come back, or we need to go and buy that player. And um, let's see what we do. Yeah, I'd be very curious. I mean, there's we're going to do a special uh, transfer window podcast over on Patreon. So, you know, that's something if you like that stuff and you want to sign up, we're going to talk about all the positions, all the all the rumors. We'll get into the, the most tenuous, well, ridiculous rumors. That. Yeah, we're gonna. That's gonna be fun. Um, and I mean, we will get into the really nitty gritty of like some guy on Twitter tweeted this once. Do you think it's real? Like, we're gonna really dive into it. And Tim is probably gonna host that one because that's his specialty. He loves that stuff. Um, Paul, just let, let's let's do sort of rapid fire real quick here. First of all, I mean, Aubameyang gets another goal. He leads the league in goals, and yet could have had four. Maybe you know should mm-hmm. should have had two assists. One with you know with his miss off the post to Ramsey, and you know help set up the one for uh, Lacazette. So, you know, overall, I mean, is this just the player we have? And I think we all need to take a deep breath and realize, like, there's nothing wrong with a guy who gets four good chances and scores one every game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we were promised a guy with uh, a perfect touch, uh, a perfect finish, a complete striker. He's He's got superpowers in, in a number of areas. He'll get you... A bag full of goals. He's the league's top scorer, or was. I think he still is. Um, he is. And, you know, he scores. He's got a 25% completion rate, not because, which is extremely high. Not because you mean con- he's conversion, got, conversion rate. Conversion rate, yeah. Not because he's a brilliant converter, but because he gets himself into brilliant positions. And he, he takes a share of them, but he misses a share of them. So he'll always leave goals on the uh, on the table. He'll always get into positions where he's putting goals on the table. I th- this is yeah. who he is, as I understand it. Yeah, and you know, you look at certain chances. We say, "Oh, that's a bad miss," but built into the bad miss is some good play. So, like the the line splitting pass by Ganduzi, which is a beautiful ball. I mean, Aubameyang makes a beautiful curved run, holds off the man with strength. That I actually was surprised he had the strength to do it. An extra touch to get past him in a position to get a shot on goal, and then doesn't finish it. There's so much good work he does in that play. Um, just you know, doesn't get the finish there. But he winds up getting a goal later. Now, admittedly, that one was a little bit lucky. So, um, hey, Clive, one player who I thought had a really interesting game. I thought this was kind of a Rorschach test for Granite, uh, Granite Shaka Rorschach test because he scores a goal. So you can be like, oh, Shaka had a great game. Lots of passes, scored a goal, great game. He also put us in the shit a ton of times. This was quintessential bad Granite Shaka and good Granite Shaka side by side. So yeah. let's look at the Rorschach test. For you, was this a nightmare Granite Shaka game where he put us in the shit way too much for a DLP, or was this, you know, great Granite Shaka touched the ball a ton and scored a goal? Yeah, I think it was a bit of both. I, I, I look at this area of the pitch a lot, right? Um, 
centre midfield is where I used to <laughs> pretend to play. And uh, so I look at those two, Guendouzi and Shaka, a lot. And I saw numerous occasions when they were caught square. And I actually tweeted out they were having a bit of a personality dance-off. Right. So by that, I mean they're both players with ball-dominant personalities. And they were both, on occasions, wanting to be the player to dash and press and dash and receive it. And they were caught square too much. Right, so they weren't deferring to each other, and that was a problem. Right, so eventually Shaka sort of settles in behind, and he he has a strong presence. I, I like the way he plays. I, 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 you can look at him and say, oh, "I love what you do," and then the moment he's put in a situation where you, where you can see his weakness, you, you your stomach just flips over because you can see that he could be getting run, or you see he's not quite in position. But when he gets the ball, he fizzes a ball out and he hits someone's foot almost perfectly. You think, wow. He does outside of the foot cross in the second half look beautiful. And you just think, you've got a ray of talent. And, and But he has got his weaknesses, obviously, around his mobility. If he's caught square or he's caught in situations where he's not comfortable in wide spaces. And he recovers that by sliding in and doing big fouls and going to ground and getting sent off. We've seen it, right? We've seen it. But it doesn't mean you can't appreciate what he can do. Sometimes he gets his head down and sometimes he loses it. Sometimes he loses his picture. Sometimes he just doesn't think, well, the ball's come and I stop it. And he's there for a, for a, for a pressing in Europe, you just put your leg in front, you get the foul, much like Torreira did in the second half. That doesn't work in England. You get your whole body in front and get smashed to the floor, and they still say play on, right? You can't just look to the referee. You've got to protect the ball properly, make sure you, you move it quickly. You can't just you can't just say to the referee, where's my foul? Gwen Doody does that a lot as well. I think it's a dangerous tactic. Socrates does it as well. I think it's a European style of playing. And in England, I'm sorry, mate, if someone makes a good intention for the ball and the referee fancies letting it go, he will let it go. And I think we got into those sort of situations. But he's a player I like a lot. I know I get criticism for liking him a lot. I like him from maybe from a coach's point of view because he's one of those players you can trust. You can move him around. You can trust him. He's 7 out of 10 every week. He hasn't had an 8 or a 9 for a little while, but he's someone I think... Always fit, always available, always trustworthy to give you some form of direction and leadership, particularly when he's in centre midfield. And we all saw what happened when he wasn't there. We suddenly oh, stopped yeah. winning mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the proof no. of it. We suddenly stopped winning games. No, I agree. I mean, look, I, the, the Granit Xhaka thing, this season for me has crystallized in my mind just how important he is for us and what his contribution adds up to in terms of you know our build-up play functioning even a little bit. But... The, the worry I've always had with, with Shaka, and it was a worry against Fulham, is the ability to give the ball away, lose possession deep. Um, you know, Scott always posts the um, the offensive value-added numbers, right? And it combines, if you're not familiar with Scott's offensive value-added, Scott's on Twitter, O underscore that underscore crab. It combines a bunch of things. Passing value-added, positive pass, negative passing value. In other words, where you lost the ball. Um, ball progression value, carry value, dribble value, dispossessed value. Shot value, XG chain, XG buildup. And he combines all that. And leading this game was Aubameyang, just because his chances added up to so much XG chain. Awobi was number two. Um, and his XG chain was through the roof. As we noted, he, he created three big three big chances. Granite Xhaka was number three. And he's always right there near the top. But his negative pass value was minus 0.23, which is really pretty high. Um, you know, not great. So I just, you know, but, and... But also, with that sort of stat, we have mm-hmm. to maybe add to it that he has the most touches. I believe yep. he's mm-hmm. had, since he signed, he's had the most passes in the Premiership full stop. Yes. Right? So we're talking about somebody that has incredibly high pass statistics. So he's going to have a higher than normal 
um, error rate. Right? And uh, so I think there's always context around these numbers. I think also, um, I listened to you guys the other day on the podcast talking about um, our improvement. And we were talking about stats saying we got one point further on. And I think I read somewhere that we got, we're plus seven against the same opposition as we played last year. And it got me thinking, actually. I can see how other people listen to the podcast now. And I was arguing with you on, on, my, on my exercise <laughs> bike, right? Even though I wasn't even to be heard. So I imagine people are arguing with us right now. People are arguing I, with I, me I, perpetually everywhere, all the time. <laughs> well, I actually, I'll give you an example, right? Do you remember the 2-2 draw last year? Well, I think it's December 23rd, I went to the game, Liverpool at home. When we, was it 2-2 or 3-3 in the end? Do you remember when Ozil scored two quick goals? It might have been 3 all. Mm-hmm. right? Do you remember that game where we literally were diabolical in the first half? We were 2-0 down. We came back and went 3-2 up and ended up drawing 3 all. Unbelievable seesaw game. Mm-hmm. I think we were in control for about 10 minutes only and we got maximum reward for it. Right? One of the most exciting games I've ever seen in, in my whole arse of watching life. Compare that game to this year, the 1-1. Right, and now if you want to measure the improvement of this team, maybe those two games will will signify it. We got a point in both games, but Liverpool were making defensive substitutions towards the end to hold on to that point. We were in control of that Liverpool home game for far longer periods we were in that three-three draw last year, and I think it's very difficult to measure the improvement of this team. We can look at all the stats, all the numbers, etc., but sometimes it's how you feel. We lost away to Liverpool last year in the league 4-0. This year we've lost 5-1, right? So there's no change there. Nothing to see here. But that Liverpool home games, those two games, maybe tells you the difference. We were much more competitive, much more in control for longer periods, and we were pushing for a win. At no point in that game last year, the luckiest 3-3 draw of all time, they smashed us. And we just happened to have a purple patch and do some amazing football and score three goals in quick succession that got us the point. And I think what what I've seen this year from watching the team is an increased competitiveness in all games and a little bit more control for longer periods. It's nowhere near perfect, but therein lies my measure. Those two games is a significant measure for me. And this is a better Liverpool team this year than it was last year. Yeah. I, and the only thing I would say is that, you know, on that portion of the podcast, um, and nothing is better podcasting than relitigating the previous podcast, um, is just that some of the underlying metrics are, are a little concerning on the attacking half. And, and you know, I, I would just love to see us have a little clearer Id- identity about how we want to attack. Although maybe that identity is driven a lot by, you know, having close Natch available and Bellerin available and attacking down the wings. I think Absolutely. we are yeah, definitely yeah. in a position where their availability is arguably as important to our attack as the availability of players like Mkhitaryan, Iwobi, Aubameyang, Lacazette. Uh, Paul, I, w- I want to finish on, on Aaron Ramsey here. He comes in, he scores a very important goal at a very tenuous time of the match, uh, ultimately making it safe and making the end really a laugher. But, you know, he uh, he continues to, at least to me, look very committed on the pitch. I know that kind of stuff is hard to uh, evaluate, and of course he should be committed. He's an Arsenal player. Rumors are that he, you know, is potentially off to Juventus, um, you know, on a free at the end of the season, that he is going to sign a pre-contract. I mean, first of all, what do you think of his cameo, and, you know, how are you feeling about what looks to be the the end of uh, Aaron Ramsey, the all time leading goal scoring midfielder at Arsenal. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot to unpack in that. Um, well, he came on and he smashed it, and it 
it was sweetness and you saw the enjoyment he got out of it. Look, the guy's got loads of character. So if anybody can play through the season, despite the fact his eyes and his mind will start to drift to other places as it goes on, it'll be him. Uh, but we're all human. So it's definitely a risk that as we get to March and April, that his mind starts to go elsewhere and maybe he's just a little bit more protective of himself than he would be. So it's not ideal, but maybe it gets us to where Mikatarian comes back. Um, now, we'll probably need all of them, but at least if it, you want to keep him busy enough and engaged enough so he feels part of it, but you probably don't want Ramsey playing every game everywhere anyway from a fitness standpoint. So um, you just hope he's going to have that he can do what most other players can't, which is stay focused, stay professional, and stay stay in the game. He's had so long at the club that um, it's really kind of a sad... It's sad that he's leaving. Uh, it's an opportunity on both sides, so it shouldn't be too sad. But it's definitely sad that, that this is how it will end up, that he's gone on a free. Very nice for his bank balance. But but not the best statement about how it all wound up. It's just kind of, it, it's understandable on all sides, but it's just a little sad that a guy who, you know, you, you throw around the word legend, is, is he a legend? Probably not, because we didn't win enough while he was here. Um, but man, he's, he's, he's a bit of an icon at the club. Uh, he's def- he defines an era at the club, and he's never been anything other than class. Well, he's been a little dull in interviews, but he's always been class. Fucking great guy. Can't do anything but wish him the best. In the meantime, our problem is wishing us the best. I think he's going to help out. I think uh, he can be. He can play a kind of a Mkhitaryan role to the right, but we haven't. The managers kind of dipped a toe in and out. I think when we're pressing with the front three, he can play a role in that. We, we've seen the manager try to use him that way a few times. Against Fulham, he, he played the role that he played the opening day against City, right? As sort of like yeah. a 10 with split forwards who he ran in between and, and triggered the press kind of, sort of, yeah, late, exactly. late runner into the box. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some interesting options with him. The problem is we're halfway through the season and the manager's got a lot of interesting options to consider. Uh, No blueprints, no templates for what works or works in certain games. So the plus side is it's all up in the air and Jesus, Aaron, we need you. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what what transpires over the next month or month and a half. But until Mkhitaryan's fully fit, I can't see that we're not going to use the heck out of him. Yeah, well, I mean, and and the good news is, I think, as you've said, that he is a player who, if we do use the heck out of him, will be fine with that. I mean, if you sign a pre-agreement, I don't know how that works, but, you know, I don't know if that means they can back out of it if you do your Achilles or something like that. I mean, I imagine so. Don't probably. believe so. No? Well, so there you go. So. so maybe he no. can, you know, he's got his money in the bank and he can play for us as hard as he wants and have a good farewell to, to a club that's been his home for most of his career. Clive, final thoughts on Ramsey and, and you know, his performance in this match and just sort of the future for our our uh, all-time leading scorer for midfield? Yeah, I thought, I thought he did I, I thought he did okay. Um, I try to Typical. stay away as much as I can <laughs> from from Ramsey-type debates because I have a view, and it's, and it's not anything I can stand behind because everyone else has their view. I, I think... Um, I, I do think that um, he. What I do respect about him is his, his attitude. Uh, he he's a professional, and he's always been that player. Um, 
I do have issues around his style, as you know. But, um, but hey, that's just my personal preferences. But we can't deny his professionalism. He, he, again, he's given us 10, 11 years of his life, and that's not an easy thing to do. Right? And um, and he was pushing for a big deal, and it, and it didn't quite work out. And now he's going to get a big deal somewhere else. He's a bargain to somebody, even at you know, 140 grand a week and probably 10 million in his bin. That's probably similar numbers to what we had on the table for him end to end. But in the end, Arsenal are not in position to sustain that deal, and probably because of the other deals that we have ongoing at the moment and other deals that we probably want to add to the squad. And what we can't see as fans at the moment is tomorrow. How quickly that's coming? How who's going to be in those roles when when players go who are on big wages and it's not just Ramsey, there are others waiting to go who are just earning pensions. And because we can't see tomorrow clearly, we can't see those players. We're holding on lovingly to the ones that we know and we're remembering their best moments. And that's that's a fan's prerogative, right? So, um, but again, a player that comes on and did what he did against Spurs. You know, you can't say anything but say, wow, that was fantastic for that period. He really drove them back. And that is a classic Ramsey game where he actually doesn't do that much on the ball, but he's involved in big moments. And you look, you turn away from the game, you look at match of the day, and you think, crikey, he's involved in two or three of our goals. And then, but, he's all, and, but he did not, nothing else. And nothing else but being involved in goals. That's not a bad skill to have, right? Um, right, yeah. So, so, so yeah, I, mean, um, we, I think the team is looking for something else. But... Um, he doesn't mean you can't respect what well, he actually has done for us and is doing for us. You have to laugh because we've got a player in Aaron Ramsey who's we can't keep, who is leaving, and is contributing. And then we have a player in Mesut Ozil who we can't get rid of, who is staying and isn't contributing. Um, that, that's and, and a bit, all, it's it's a bit glib, by the way. Please the, don't hate on me. <laughs> uh, it's, all, it's all aligned to the contracts, isn't it? Yes, of course, it's all yeah. aligned to the contracts. It's yep. all aligned to the wage structure. And what Arsenal are going through they're basically going through a financial restructure right now. And the only way they can do that is to chin the biggest players in the playground. And they have to. You can't start with the, the academy kids and reducing their contracts. It does, you, doesn't make a dent, yeah. They're your, they're your assets, right? Well, like any <laughs> new boss coming to the firm, what they go for first? They go for the managing directors, didn't they? That's where your cost base is. So uh, you got to go thought about that school. before we gave Macedozo $28 million a year. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, million. you would think the club would join up, hey, but they're only just joined up now. So we have a yeah. new club, new organization. And this is the first window we're going to see them in action, yep. and in the summer. And and I am going to hold my judgment till after the summer. And I think we can say, who is this Arsenal? What are we all about? And I think then we can really judge the club as where we're going. I think we're bound to post some losses coming up. This pitch is going to get darker, and then we're going to see where we are. And hopefully, the football results will mask it. But if it doesn't, I think we're going to have such an interesting January and summer to judge the club. And there will be a podcast. That's a good segue. Podcast on Patreon. Whole podcast dedicated just to transfers. All the rumors, all the signings, all the non-signings, ingoings, outcomings, incomings, outgoings. You know what I meant? In any event, thank God we had Fulham. What a time to draw Fulham at home. Right after you get hammered at Anfield, you need a win. You get Fulham at home, and we got the win. Thank God. Uh, Chelsea have just drawn against Southampton, by the way, so that's a good result for us. They're going to be coming to the Emirates this month, so if we can get back on track, maybe, just maybe, this top four race could be interesting. Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. <laughs> Thank you. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about that holiday vacationing uh, son of a bitch, Tim. 
Thinks he can just go away to somewhere sunny and warm and enjoy his football on the television instead of sitting in cold, rainy. He, uh, he looks way Emirates. too happy. Way yeah, it drive me fucking nuts. Anyway, uh, we love you. We appreciate you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Blackpool News.